Hi, I'm Austin, and this is Gaming in BS. Welcome to Gaming MBS episode 70, where we're finishing up our part two of Star Wars Edge of the Empire for by Fantasy Flight Games. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back to the show, folks. Welcome. How are you, Sean? I am well, Brett. Thank you for asking. How are you? Fair. Not too bad. I had to go out into the uh, freezing cold, that ice uh, hanging off the old beard mustache at the end of it, but it was worth it. I had uh, tree stands I had to take down, so... My son and I went out in the woods and I was climbing up in a tree and it's amazing how uh, incredibly difficult it is to move straps and do things when it's, you know, six, 10 below zero and windy and, and you're hanging off a tree. It's it, fun. Is, it is very nipper out there. And it's supposed to only get colder as oh, the week progresses. So I have something to look forward to. Excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so this actually, this actually goes right into one of the announcements I've got. Um, should I just jump into it? Yeah, man, let's just get into it. All right. So announcements. Um, I'm going to be at Evercon. I've brought this up before. Evercon, E-V-E-R-C-O-N.org. <clears throat> I'll be up there representing Gaming NBS. Um, I'm going to be running some uh, two-hour role-playing game. And uh, so basically my buddy Alf and I are going to run two-hour RPGs. And my buddy Zave is going to run some board games on, in the side. We've got a little room where we're going to be doing this. It should be kind of cool. Kind of a first come, first serve, sign up with yourself, your friends. Um, almost a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, games on demandy type of thing. I know Kev Thulu is going to be there as will Austin. I believe Kevin's got a four-color supers game. So if you happen to be there and you're into that, he's going to be running Fate Accelerated for that. So that should be pretty freaking cool. I'll have my two boys with me, Connor and AJ. This will be AJ's first, uh, and Connor's actually their first little con. Very tiny con, but, uh, well, shit, I shouldn't say tiny. They tend to have as many, if not more, people in game hole con they had 1500 last year that's crazy yeah it's only it's only like the last half of friday and all day saturday it's a basically a day and a half con they cracked that many people through there so anyway that is coming up and by coming up i do mean that is january 15th through the 16th check out the website evercon.org and you will learn more what have you got sean i uh touching up the website yeah i saw that Nice changes. I like the look of it. Yeah. Uh, it's going to look good if it isn't already. I've got a couple of things to do yet. I'm not overly happy with the current state of what it looks like, but it'll, it's, it's almost there. It's much better than it ever has been. I'm putting a few dollars into it. If you haven't checked it out, it's at gamingnbs.com. And then I think it's can, a pretty, it's a clean site. It's easy to find stuff. It's pretty quick to get around. So that's cool. Yeah. It's a little bit quicker and snappier and responsive, which means it's mobile without a mobile plugin. Um, yeah. We'll put some uh, guest headshots up there that we've had for guests like Phil and Chris, Chris and Hans and mm-hmm. a couple others, I think. Um, nice. we'll put up there. Yeah. And then um, my little con coming up is Gary Con. Now, I don't know if Brett's going to accompany me. I don't know if he's going to be my plus one. Uh, I'm hoping to. Again, it depends on whether or not I'm able to. If the elk hunting plans I have are going to happen, that will eat into my con funding. So I'll either be able to go, to go out to Idaho to shoot large animals or I'll be at Gary Con to uh, kill player characters. One of the two. Something's going to die. So 
There we go. So I will be at Gary Khan, which is in March. You can go to GaryKahn.com for more information on Gary Khan. Uh, I, I can't remember what weekend in March. Anyways, I will be on a podcaster's panel, I believe is the, one of the things that I am registered to partake in. And I believe that's going to be on the first day of the con, Thursday at 4 p.m. Um, and that will feature a few guys from the Drink, Spin, Run podcast. I don't know if Don's going to be there, but I think Adam is. Dead Games, guys? Dead Games. So Chad Parrish from the Dead Game Society, as well as the RPG School, which is a new podcast that he's just launched with another woman I cannot remember. I think that's the name of it, but they are interviewing designers, and I put a, a post out on my Google Plus about that. So they're looking for designers to interview for their show. Spellburn folks will be there too, right? Spellburn folks will be there. Uh, I believe Jim Wampler may be on the panel with us. Um, and there's also somebody else, and I apologize um, for not mentioning their name, but there's somebody else that I, I know is going to be on the panel. So if you want to know how to podcast or what we do or how we do it, um, that'll be a good one. And then we're going to have like a little soiree afterwards um, that everybody can drink and mingle. I don't think we're picking up the tab for that because we're not making millions of dollars, but if I had it my way, I would. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Patreon only goes so far. (laughs) And, you know, if Brett wasn't taking all our money. Yeah, exactly. For this high-end beer I'm drinking this evening. Right. Holy cow, that is a mug. Ah, You guys should see this thing. It's like a a big old mug. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for announcements. Uh, Should we go into Random Encounter? Let's do it. Random Encounter, an element of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media, from you. We've got a few decent lengthy ones today, which is good. Thanks for everybody that's written in. I'm pre-thanking everybody. In case I miss one. Uh, yeah. Well, hey. because we, we might get into some heavy shit here, and we might not catch everybody with a thank you. So get a peremptory thank you. Right. Like we it. don't want to be tainted by what they might mention. So we're just going to thank them first. And then when we don't agree and get pissed off, we've still thanked them. Exactly. That's a good approach, Brad. I like it. You want to take the first one? I like, I like, I think this is, yeah, I think you should take the first one. Well, Mr. Sneezak, Mr. Chris Sneezak, of course, of Misdirected Mark fame and from Encoder Designs fame and a few other things. Chris says, this is on Google+, <clears throat> Brett and anyone else who's listening to the episode, the dice, not that, far to figure, not that hard to figure out how to read. Also, there's a chart where you can use advantages and disadvantages just to push some boost dice around the table if you can't think of anything cool to use them for in the, on the narrative. Also, if the books are 60 bucks, it's only 180 total, which is only $30 more than a set of D&D books. As a quick bread aside, I suck at math. I do project manager math, which I usually round up to the nearest hundred or nearest thousand. So this is one of the reasons why I am not allowed to balance the household checkbook. I might have, to find, I might have to find out where our company budget is now that I know how <laughs> Brett, Brett adds and does budgeting. <laughs> when you do multi-million dollar hardware purchases, you're like, oh, I need an extra 100000 like, Fuck whatever. So for for the record, Brett is a project manager at the same place that I work, and (laughs) he does not support our business group. He does not support HR, which now I can I am thankful for. Actually, that's not necessarily true. I do all the infrastructure stuff. Well, yeah, but it's probably not coming out of our 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 pockets. 
if I have anything to say about it. Anyway, yeah. um, to be fair, um, uh, he says that's only thirty dollars more than a set of D and D books. To be fair, I can play D and D from just the player's handbook, but I can also just play a campaign of Star Wars from an individual book. It's no different than the White Wolf model. If you want to get the full White Wolf experience, you need to buy Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, Wraith, etc. I mean, if you want to get on a FFG for anything that they have splat book release schedule like WotC used to have for D&D, that's what bugs me, not the three books, which are all individual games you could play together if you really wanted to. Plus, they seem to fit together better than the White Wolf stuff. <clears throat> to continue that White Wolf thought, it makes sense that they would fit together better since FFG Star Wars is a relatively newer game and should be building on what's come before it. I also thought you guys made some good points since I've been pretty critical so far. One of those good points is... <clears throat> excuse me, was if you're not used to playing a game like that, it takes a bit to get used to. To follow up on that statement applies to a number of games, not just this one. Once again, to be fair, this version of Star Wars is much different than the Saga Edition, so that could be jarring for people who are moving from the old system to a new one. That said, if you want to, uh, to look at the game through the lens of culture shock, from that traditional GMPC narrative authority to a more collaborative narrative approach, I could see that point of view having merit, which is where I think you were going, but man, Brett, it sounded like you were lambasting the game because you didn't like the play style or you were feared of the unknown or unfamiliar. Great episode, and I can't wait for part two. So, <laughs> um, I, responded to, I responded to Chris on uh, Google+, Plus. so the thread's out there. I'll try to paraphrase myself here. <clears throat> One, I disagree with the comparison to White Wolf. He's talking about first edition White Wolf. All of that, all of those games were designed as individual IP spaces, and they're also, it was an afterthought to connect them. The newer World of Darkness stuff that Onyx Portal and others in the second edition and so forth have put together is all the same core system, and they do match a hell of a lot better than they used to. Still debatable if they're 100% perfect or not. Star Wars, in Brett's opinion, is a single property. It's a single IP. And to split it up into individual books, I feel that if I want to play Star Wars, I want to play all of the IP components of it, and I feel like having to pay $60 each time plus whatever for a set or two of dice. So basically still, I'm looking at a $200 bill. Once I get $180 worth of books, plus a couple sets of dice, I don't like that. That's a personal thing. Some people aren't going to care. As Sean pointed out last time, Star Wars has never been a cheap IP, so I get it. But I don't think the uh, White Wolf um, comparison to Star Wars is the same because Star Wars started off singularly. They're splitting it up to make money. And White Wolf started off individually, and then they tried to crush it together, and then they changed that in second edition. Anyway, um, do, 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 um, as far as the dice goes, yeah, Chris is probably, uh, he said a misdirected mark episode. I think he learned them like in a uh, half a second or something amazing like that. Cause Chris is just a flat better gamer than I am. I mean, well, really. yeah, duh, no, duh. Um, <laughs> so it's not, <laughs> I don't necessarily do, do, do. So I was not trying to lambast the game. So I apologize to anybody if I came across as like, fuck this game blows. I tried to pull out a couple of different pieces where I indicate how much fun I was actually having with some of the escape stuff we did, learning the different mechanic, how it works. It's clunky to me to try to figure it out. I don't like the fact so far that reading the dice and so forth pulls me out and makes me very metagame feel, where I have to monkey with them and figure it out. I want it to quickly move to the background. Yes. I spend a little more time on figuring it out. It just I haven't moved it to the background yet. It'll yeah. get there. Yeah. Just got to put the time in. Right, because no other game does that. Right. Hmm. Like, so when I so if you gum, play D and D, so if you no, play, when I learned the gum, when I learned the gumshoe system, yeah. Um, after the first session, I never even worried about it. Right. It just, it just happened. Right. When I play D and D now, it just happens. Right. 
you don't have to like figure out what number you rolled and how much you have to add to it and figure out what the well, outcome it's, is. It's, as I said, it happens faster than this. This is just a little different. Well, it's yes. not as binary. Yeah, it's going to take. And when it's not binary, it adds more flavor and cool narrative components to it. Right. So there's more to the um, what the dice do. Yes. Which is cool. I don't have a problem with that. It just takes a little bit. Are you sure, Brad? Are you good? I mean, are you sure you don't have a problem with that? Not yet. It's we'll okay. See. It's okay. We'll see if you do it. We'll see if you do it right the next time we play. Well, touche. Based on my rereading of the rules. Right. Let's let's see if you get your shit together. Yeah, I don't run it at all. Right. <laughs> at all. I don't like shit. Rule book. Uh, Chris, Chris did point out a good uh, another good piece in there. So, Chris, thank you very much, dude, for writing in. I really do appreciate your your point of view. Chris is also has a better mechanical attack on different things. Sean and my approach is here. It's not really a uh, review. We're just looking at going, this is what I played. This is what I think. I tried to call up components that I felt people should just flat be aware of if you've never done anything like this before. Um, I have done things like this before, so <clears throat> it's not that shocking to me. But the um, the chart component, we didn't call that out last time where there's a chart for advantage and disadvantage. You can just push boost dice across the table. I do think sometimes, because we're playing online, we're using Roll20 for it. Sometimes when you play an online game, some of those things that are as easy as I just, hey, I pass these dice over. Sometimes the physicality of being at the same table, um, there are certain aspects or components of a rule system that I think are easy to learn in person sometimes when then um, then perhaps across um, the interwebs. That could, again, just be a Brett thing. Who knows? Fair. What do you think, Sean? Anything no, else you want to add? I think that's fair. Totally fair. Next one for you, sir. Angela Murray. Merely writing in this 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 email right now. I don't know if she's this, this, this episode has has garnered so much more class right now. Right, it's just the <laughs> we standard. need we need Angela. Angela, to get us. yes, if we don't have Angela. We've got nothing. Okay, so she writes. Enjoyed the episode quite a bit. Before the Force Awakens opened, my gaming group started a new Star Wars game using West End's old D six system. That's like the first first, right, John? Is that I, the first Star Wars? I believe it's the first iteration of Star Wars, the role playing game. Yes. Cool. While tentatively a one-shot, it's turned into a bit more, and the GM is looking at converting our characters into the new fantasy flight system. Since he got the books for Christmas from his kids, they know their dad well. Indeed. Well done. Yeah. Very nice. There's some top-notch kids there. And that, that's definitely a good way to get around the whole $200 spend. Get other people to buy shit for you. There, you, there you go. Done right? and done. That's I, how my son got his five ebooks. I gave them to him. Yeah. <laughs> Cost him a dime. Carry on. Well, I'm actually excited about the idea of trying out the new system. While I appreciate the uh, WEG, which is the West End Games system, from a nostalgic perspective, and it's not a bad system, it just shows its age a little bit. We got into a tough fight in the game, and I felt hamstrung in doing anything rather than getting excited about the action. I find with games that encourage the writer's table mentality tend to be ones I enjoy more, even if the dice aren't in my character's favor. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole advantage and disadvantage thing works and add yet another set of dice to my overflowing dice bag, as if I'll be able to resist getting a set of the dice. You can't. If you're a gamer and there's a game you like, you played... The siren song of the dice bag will catch you. That's right. You'll end up buying yet another grayed out dice bag and filling it with more dice. That's right. Definitely need dice. And this one for sure. 
Oh, that's awesome. I don't think people can hear you on the, on the Facebook. I got, I'm streaming this live Facebook, so they're just hearing me. Well, they can't hear me at all? No, oh. they can't, which is weird. I don't know. I, I, there's got to be some issue. <clears throat> you I'm, must be doing it wrong. I won't be able to, to tackle that, which sucks. So it's going to be, this video is like going to be nothing for them. <laughs> Angela, thank you very much for writing in, as always. I will be interested to see if you do translate the characters from West End to Fantasy Flight. Since you've played both, I played West End like back in high school twice, and it was a really shitty DM, and I, I don't remember anything about it. But I would be really curious to see your thoughts uh, comparing the two systems. <clears throat> That'd be kind of cool. And if there is a, if you get in some action and you do feel a little hamstring, and this is where I think Sean was talking about last time the whole concept of pass fail on die rolls, target number or nothing. Um, when you do have the multiple um, opportunities to do different things, you know, advantage, disadvantage, pass and boost dice around, doing different things, every time it's your turn, you have something to do. You never get that point where like, well, I got nothing to do. I failed my, I failed my save. I can't move. Yeah, there's always something you can do or at least feel like you can do. So that's kind of cool. All right. Is the next one mine? Next one is mine. Mark Dawson emailed us, Sean, I don't want to be, quote unquote, that <laughs> guy who pointed out your mathematical mistake in episode 68. Apparently, just as an aside, Sean and Brett are no good at math. Um, <laughs> I think that's the theme of the show this week. <laughs> we suck at math. Yeah. <laughs> Regarding die roll, but it's fair game since you brought it to everyone's attention. Uh-hoo. The whole reason I suggested rewording die roll to be 2D4 instead of 2 through 4 wasn't just to be cute. In some of the earlier episodes of the show, you guys had more than four points of interest during die roll. Changing the wording to 2D4 gives you broader range of anywhere between two through eight points of discussion. I think it would be helpful moving forward, especially if you're accepting topics for this section. For all this show from listeners and friends, as mentioned in, in your proposed changes to the format in 2016. Sean, I like it. 2D4. 2D4, indeed. We should do that. 2D4 shall be from this point forward. Thank you, Mr. Dawson. Next one is yours. All right. Thanks for writing in, Mark. Yeah, we've got um, Scott Cohen. He's got two emails, fairly decent ones here. <sighs> Let's see. What do you want to do? You want to go first? Yeah. Go. So Scott Cohen emails us. I tried to post these on your blog, but for whatever reason, okay, he's having issues there. Um, he re- references episode 56, player control in role-playing games. Excellent podcast, guys. I really enjoyed the back and forth on player agency. Even having it at a add it, even having it at all is a very different paradigm from when I started gaming way back when. For an example of what I consider a positive move in the player agency department, while still keeping the GM in control, is the Cortex Plus system. For those of those of you that do not know the Cortex Plus system, it is by Margaret Weiss productions, namely games like Leverage and Firefly, or just a couple. There are three main ways that player agency comes into the game. Number one, the system encourages the GM to ask questions. That is to say something like, you're stopped by a lawman and his face comes out of the shadows. You realize that you met him a couple of years back. What was all that? What was all, what was that all about? God, I cannot read. I don't know what it is. I got to go back to school and learn how to read. Well, between between our inability to read and our inability to do math, we are awesome at this podcast. Let's keep going. Life Let's is, try. What could go wrong? Life is totally successful for me. Absolutely. What was that all about? I know that my players are creative folk, but I am still amazed at how quickly they respond to these off-the-cuff questions. 
In doing this, the player gets to inject some of their creativity into the narrative, while the GM still maintains control in that they decide when to ask such questions and they can always veto anything that's too far off. These can also create some great side plots. Number dose. When the character wins a role, they generally get to describe the outcome, though the GM can take control of this whenever they want. If it's combat, the player won the role to defeat the NPC, so if they want to kill them, break a leg, choke them out, karate chip them to the back of the head to knock them out, etc., isn't important per se that they won the encounter is. The key to this is that before the role is made, the GM and the player agree as to what they're rolling for. This keeps a lockpick roll from becoming, quote, and I purposefully short out another wire in the door to take down the entire building security system, end quote. Now, you were rolling for getting past the lock on the door. Or no, you were rolling for getting past the lock on the door. Number three, plot points. These are used to create things that can either give the player a thing that they didn't have and a bonus to a role in using that thing. The idea here is to let the player be both creative and move the plot along. They're helpers. They are helpers. And even though we call, we'll call this player agency PPs? Pot points. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, okay. Whew. Got a reference at the beginning of the paragraph. PPs help. PPs <laughs> help. And we're juvenile. Moving on. <laughs> PPs help to move the GM's plot line along with as few roadblocks and setbacks as possible. It takes a we're stuck in a small town jail situation, completely bringing the plot to a screeching halt into I know the deputy here and saved her life in the war D6 asset that might just get you out of this bind. That was a fun sidetrack and back into the story's main track. So it's a nice balance of player agency while still having the GM retain control and keeping their story moving. Sorry for the long post. I've become a huge Cortex plus devotee, and it just fits in so well with what you guys were talking about. Thanks for this opportunity to let me gush. I'll take the next one. Let you get a breather. He continues, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've got, um, he goes over to episode 35, out of print role-playing games. Yeah. He goes even further back into the archives. He must start like recent and then go backwards. Yeah. Which he's like reading the story backwards. That's okay. So it, it's it's okay. It's if he, okay. If he does that, our podcast turns into a, an evil de- summoning of a devil. Or if you if if you listen to us backwards, do you get misdirected, Mark, and vice versa? Like if you listen to them oh. backwards, do you get us? That could that could be kind of weird. I'm gonna have to try that. Hmm. <laughs> Thirty five about out of print role playing games, which Sean and I talked about. That he says another excellent podcast. I tried a bunch of tried to buy a bunch of RPGs just to be able to read them, and probably haven't played about seventy five percent of the games in my collection. For some of them, I have no intention of playing them. For others, I'd love to play them if, if, if I could find others who are interested um, by them too. The downside to dead systems is that many can be impossible to get unless you're spending hundreds of dollars on eBay. For example, I wanted to try out a Star Trek system. What company did it after Last Unicorn? I don't remember who did it after Last Unicorn either. Decipher Sorry. Decipher <coughs> system by Last Unicorn. The last company was... <coughs> I don't remember. Anyway, he said one book alone was something like 150 bucks. Good luck having other players willing to get their hands on it, too. As for nostalgia, Skyrealms of Droon had a pretty crappy system, but the world that they had built was amazing. It was a world that fascinated me by itself. I'd buy a novel written in that setting in a heartbeat. Take care, guys, again, and my apologies for clogging your inbox. Well, no need to apologize at all, good sir. 
Mr. Cohen, that was all uh, good stuff. Thank you very much. I could have swore I had the copy of that Star Trek game. I can't remember it. All right. Mr. James Carruthers writes us. Your turn, sir. Hi, Sean. Hi, Brett. With one T. Is that Breet? Maybe <laughs> that's, that's. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that's the country, not my name. Anyway, moving on. Oh. I was just listening to episode 65 or so in which you talk about involving players in the narrative, especially for a critical hit or miss. I thought I would offer that in my D&D games. There's a way to get players to begin adding more colorful. Yes, that's how you spell it in Canada. It's O-U-R, he said colorful. Nice. Sorry, let me pronounce that American-wise. Colorful. Yes, that's <laughs> how you spell it in Canada, and that's how we pronounce that in English. <laughs> Description. We just alienated all three of our Canadian listeners. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> anyway... Anyways, description. When they strike the killing blow of an enemy, I say to them, describe its death. Every single one of my players always jumps all over the opportunity to describe the monster's or evil NPC's death. They love it. I had one player who would say stuff like, great. I grab the goblin by the neck, drag him over to the stream, and shove his head under the water with my boot on his neck. And while his head spasms in its death throes, and I glare menacingly at the rest of its companions. Ooh. I like this, Mr. James. Trust me, all players enjoy describing the deaths of their enemies. Whether it's my 10-year-old nephew, well, I hope that wasn't his 10-year-old nephew. (laughs) (laughs) If it is his 10-year-old nephew, he's got a a career in death metal. I like that kid. He's got a good good reputation on the playground, I'm sure. He He does. Whether it's my 10-year-old nephew or the 40-year-olds in my weekly evening game. All the best for a healthy, healthy, prosperous 2016 and keep BSN. James from Vancouver, BC. Awesome, man. We've got uh, one foreign listener. Well, we've got him. We've got a couple Canadians. We probably do. OPS, he says. Oh, yes. Brett keeps saying goodnight to me on my morning commute. It's not a primetime talk show. It's a podcast, man. Oh, crap, that ugly thing again. This is We've gone over this before. I don't know if you've gotten to the episode, James, where Brett's, somebody mentioned this to, to Brett as well, and then Brett's like, you know what? I just cannot break the habit because we record at night. Good night, good gaming. Yeah, that's what I sound like, too. That's great. That's why people listen. <laughs> that was that was me, by the way, if you couldn't tell. That was me. <laughs> if making, you couldn't tell. He does, it, he does it dead on Brett. He's really good at it. <laughs> Noted. Noted, James. Don't expect the change for us to change it, though. But thank you very much for the write-in. I love the um, the describe his death thing. I think there's a I do Sean, too. I've talked about, John, I've talked about this before, and this is kind of where it, it it's similar to some of the mechanics and the stuff we're talking about with the Edge of the Empire piece, where you're sourcing the table for data, right? Uh, but when you're doing something, what James is talking about, what we talked about back in that episode. Episode uh, 56 or 65, excuse me, a little dyslexic there. Episode 65. Um, there's no mechanical bonus for that. It's pure narrative. There's nothing that passes a die. There's nothing that does anything like that. You're just simply doing it because it's a cool narrative thing to do. And there's no mechanical piece. It's something that you can carry from any game system to any game system. It's kind of cool. All right. Josh Wallace emails us and Mr. Joss. Josh Wallace says, boy, howdy, your talk on the wonky dice only made me more intimidated by the game. Maybe I need to see an hour of play to grok it because the hour-long podcast made my head spin. And I have a college degree in math. Love your podcast, nevertheless. Nevertheless, good grief. I can't talk either. We should Josh. call him. 
We have, you call him? We have math problems. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea, Josh. Maybe, maybe had you, maybe, yeah, maybe if we had you on that podcast, it wouldn't have been so bad. We should have got him to figure out your costs for the Star Wars game. It could have. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what scared him right out of the gate. It was too expensive. So it's, it, uh, it, as I said, and as, as uh, Chris Nizek points out, it's not like a huge barrier. It no. takes time. And it is one of those things when Sean tar- started to explain it to me in person, I went, I got to try this. And now that I've played it twice, I'm like, oh, I get it. It's starting to come together. As I said, I like um, I like my mechanics to quickly move to background noise for me. And I haven't gotten this one to background noise yet. That's all. Yeah. And I told Josh when he wrote in, I did reply to him and say, hey, look, if you watched it or if you saw, see, it's hard to explain something in real high detail that is visual because then it's, then you're, if your mind, if you, if you're not picturing it, then it seems to be like overwhelming. So if it's when I go through each die type and then what symbols are on it and then what you're rolling, what you're adding and what, who's in favor and who's not, that can be a little bit daunting. But if I just sat here and said, look, the green, the yellow and the baby blue one is in your favor the purple and the red and yellow are in my favor. They have different things. You can swap them out depending on the situation. And then you roll and then you see these symbols. See these symbols? This one cancels out that one. That one cancels out that one. Then the result is what it is. He would he would get it. But I think you, you had mentioned one of the applications. There is an app, I think, either for your mobile device or whatever that will uh, translate some of the uh, some of the roles for you into what you what you have or don't have. So anyway... Um, the wonky dice, like I say, I wouldn't, if I made it sound scare, scarier than it should be, I do apologize. It is something that you have to want to do. If it's not something that you're into, you're like, oh God, I don't want to do that. If it just kind of irks you at some level, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those pieces. If you can get to a con is a great opportunity to find edge of the empire game and try it at a con. <clears throat> See me already there to play games, try a game like this at a con. Or if you've got a local gaming store, someone's running it. Have someone sit down and, and run you through a combat, run you through something. It's not uh, it's not horribly daunting. It just takes a little bit of time. And if you're if you've game for a while, you look at it and go, okay, I get this. I see it might take me a few sessions to get the hang of it, but you know what? It's worth it. I really want to do it because I like where this is going. Or you might say, eh, it's not for me, and then be able to move on. Yeah. Without spending what was it five hundred dollars I quoted something crazy and, like and he even says love your podcast nevertheless so Joshua Wallace thanks Joshua you'll get it it's not it, we are just explaining it and it's probably a little tricky and if you're ever interested let us know and we'll show you cool Brett will because well, he'll I'll have the system fucking mastered by that time he might even buy the book and see the movie I might I'm not gonna see the movie Sean your turn all right I keep going cool sweet Brian. Kreutzinger. Greetings emails us. Greetings, guys. Enjoy your show in general and really could identify with your discussion about Edge of the Empire and the use of those dice with the Mayan ruins on them instead of a conventional dice set. Mayan ruins. That's a good one. I like it. Hieroglyphs. I've been playing with a few groups over the six months and the die do present a challenge. But once you figure out how to interpret them, the game really works well and engages the players. It took a bit of coaxing to get them to interact and more effort on my part to break out of conventional GM role of telling players what happened or asking them what happens. This game provided a mechanical reason for the players to get into the narrative. If you are really attached to the story or you feel you run a game set on rails, Edge of the Empire will help you kick that habit. 
it hasn't fixed Sean yet, but we're we think we think the Sean train might get derailed. It's not gonna fix that habit. I'm gonna be the one that uh, I'll railroad Edge of the Empire. Nice. Keep going. Edge of the Empire has really dragged my players into the action, and while I can see how it can break the immersion when there is a table when there is table talk around interpreting the dice, my experience has been that it really helps to build the experience as a group. Um, players have taken ownership of situations in ways that have really added to the game and basically tells me what they want from the adventure. Thanks for a great show and good luck in the future. Brian K. Oh yeah. Excuse me while I belch. There are some good sheets out there that can help out and I attach the ones that we have hacked together as a group. Hope you can find some useful information on them. They have been in been a work in progress and evolved as the needs of the game with additions occurring between sessions to meet the need of the adventuring, the adventure we have been running. So he did send us those. I think he gave us like four attachments. Sweet. Um, Let's get them up on our different uh, communities, Ben. Yeah. And I'll have to check. He may just sent it to us and say, here, check. But I don't know if he'll allow us to post them and share them with the group. If, uh, Oh, good point. We should ask Brian, if you hear this, um, Send us an email or bop us on Google Plus or Facebook or Twitter and say, yep, that's it's I'm Brian and that's fine. And then I'll upload it to Google Drive and I'll put a link in the show notes to those cheat sheets. So I got to say, one, one of the folks on Google Plus, I think it was Google Plus, maybe it was on Facebook. Somebody said they were driving and they heard the train sound effect and it oh. freaked. And it freaked their shit out because they were crossing instead of train tracks at the time. <laughs> and their first thought was, Fuck, I completely forgot that there's and they were like dash head side to side looking for the train and there was no train. I've so had that Sean, happen in podcasts. Rail, you're, you're railroading, your railroading tactics could have killed a gamer. Yeah. I'm just putting it out there. You could have killed one of our listeners. Yeah, which would be a strange twist because in railroading, I'm out to kill the player character, but I could actually kill a player. You gotta be careful, man. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, wow. Check that soundboard at the door, brother. I got a new weapon. All right, let's get into the main topic. All right, so Edge of the Empire Fantasy Flight Games. Part two. Part two. So one of the things I want to start off with is that for those who are money conscious, as apparently I am, or at least for those who can't do math like I can't, um, there is a beginner's box for this game system. We did not mention that last time. But there is a beginner's box that FFG has pulled out or put out, excuse me. So this is one of those things where if you want to try the system, get into it and so forth, I've heard really good things about the beginner's box. Um, might be worth your while to grab that, try it out. And if you like it, then you can dump the you know 60 bucks for the core book or whatever the case is. But it is a way to get started in the system without being uh, without having to dump a ton of cash. Yeah, so, there was somebody. Cool. Uh, there was somebody on Google Plus um, that mentioned the beginner box. Let's see if I can even just quick that quick pull that up. Uh, probably not, not quick anyways. But it had to do with the. Um, they were talking about the beginner box, and I'm like, yeah, that it kicks ass much more over the D and D starter set. Yes, I've heard like, that. They were like, hey, you know, they they were kind of telling me like, hey, Sean, you're kind of being a little bit harsh. But I, it is. I mean, it's got pre-gens, and it's very it explains everything very well. It details it out very well. It is a box that is for beginners, where I think the D&D boxes 
a box for anybody, but it's not for beginners. It doesn't have that Frank Mensner, here's how you play D&D from the beginning type of feel. Like I'm, I'm talking about the D&D one, the 5e box. The D&D box does not tell you how to play. It's a rules light version of the game. It has four to six pre-gens in it, dice. Okay, and you're it saying that to the start FFG, you. you're saying the FFG beginner's box, Reg of the Empire, tells you how to role play. Correct. Oh, well, neat. I don't know if it tells you how to role play, but I'm well, sure. At least how to play this game. Yes. Okay. The game like the way. Pathfinder beginner box, again, called beginner box, probably for beginners, um, I think is is done well too. I, th- I haven't seen it necessarily, but I heard that it's, you know, big character sheets, tells you what it means, tells you how to roll dice, tells you what to say. And Beginner is uh, different than starter. and It um, is, I think. Perhaps, that's, that, perhaps the terminology was used appropriately in that case. Right. But I don't, I think the, the D&D thing is. Well, hey, you know what? We're talking about Edge of the Empire. So let's talk about characters in Edge of the Empire, man. Last time, as we were wrapping that up, I started talking about the class versus non-class system. And hey, this kind of dovetails into that a little bit. And because I said, hey, this is this doesn't have classes. You're like, whoa, 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 hang tight a second. Characters, there's some of that stuff in there, and we cut ourselves short because we're going to talk about this time. So, Sean, when you make a character in this game, what do you uh, what, what do you do? You just pick a race and a class and go forward, or how's how's that work, man? Yeah, that's a good question, Brett. Matt Martinez was the guy I was talking about. <clears throat> Matt Martinez, hey, thank Matt. you. Wink, wink, no nudge, Matt. Matt, Kevin Keneally. Yeah, so characters in Edge of the Empire, you start out by you. So the first step in like the character uh, creation is that you want to come up with a concept. Okay. And then you kind of build it from there. Um, You choose, typically you get, uh, so you the sheet, the, oh my God, where am I going with this? Might have to edit this part out. Um you choose a concept and there's done by careers and specializations and the there's about eight career skills that are associated with the career and the examples are like bounty hunter technician smuggler hired gun explorer and colonist okay and then you choose the specialization there's four additional career skills as you pick the specialization so you get so it's like kind of like when you buy when you're D and D fifth edition, you will pick a class, and that class will give you skills, like so many skills. But in this, it's associated with your career and your specialization. It will tell you what what career skills and additional skills you would get based on the career you pick and the specialization. So, yeah, so, so my character, um, is a Duros and he is a career technician and is specialized is mechanic. Right. Cause I wanted to be the shift mechanic and that's my thing. So you want to pick race career yep. specialization, right? So it's kind of like a, I would equate it to race, right? Whatever race in this case, star Wars has got tons of them. And then you would pick, um, kind of like the class and then like the subclass kind of thing. If you want to really break it down that way. Anyways, I don't want to, I don't know if we should. It's like, Oh, you're a computer guy. Can you fix my hard drive? And you're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Hey, I'm a software programmer. I'm not, I'm not like the hardware guy. Oh, you're a mechanic. You can do this. No, I don't do paint. I'm a mechanic. I don't do. Correct. So some examples of like, say colonists, there's doctor under colonists, there's politico 
if you pick Explorer, there's Trader, there's Scout under Explorer. If you pick Hired Gun as a career, specializations include Bodyguard, Marauder, Smuggler. So you, get to, you get to twerk. Uh, twerk. God, that's horrible. Twerk. You get to tweak, uh, twerk. Get to twerk. Twerk your character. This is a horrible game. Put its ass in the air and oh, shake it like you don't care. Okay, anyway, you get to tweak your character to a point, but it's not like a a no-class system like a GURPS that's very just all point-based, pick whatever skills you want, kind of smash stuff together. It's not like that. It's more directed type of character generation in that regard. And you've got cool stuff. You've got brawn, agility, intellect, cunning, willpower, presence type of characteristics, and tons of different general skills, astronegation, discipline, leadership, piloting, Skullduggery, which is always a cool word. I love that. Um, survival, all sorts of cool stuff. Combat skills, knowledge skills, xenology, underworld, all sorts of cool shit. Right. So when you pick those, the next thing you kind of get into is how you build your character without getting in a huge amount of detail, but essentially everything is done using experience. So not only do you get awarded experience in the game as, as kind of a reward mechanism, but you use that experience to actually increase your characters. So it's experience points equal character points. Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, so there's some mechanics around that and how to use them to, you know, they're based on the species that you have will allow you to use certain experience points, you know, for X, Y, and Z. Um, there's abilities. And then there's the skills and then the talents. And then I think that's it. Well, let's talk about the cool stuff here. The cool pieces to me are obligation. Obligation was interesting. That was an, I mean, character generation to me, like, okay, it's a system you go through steps one through whatever. And at the end of the day, you've got your blue guy with red eyes. Like I do. Who's a mechanic. Great. But the obligation is a piece that, is part of your character's background and so forth. What does obligation do, Sean, and how do you utilize it in the game? So obligation, so the, again, goes back to experience points because you have to have experience points to create your character. So you get a set based of a set of experience points to begin with. You may get additional ones depending on what race you choose. And if you want more, because maybe you want to up your abilities you and skills, you can opt to choose obligation. So you will get obligation, which gives you 10 XP. I think it starts at in the beginning. Say you want more, you can choose a second obligation. All right. So you can also choose obligation to give you more starting money. So it's kind of like a trade-off. You can opt to, to, to buy in, to buy more obligation, and in which case you can get extra XP or you can get extra cash, or you could do both. But either way, it's going to up your obligation score. So this could be obligation to me. It reminds me a little bit of a few different things. White Wolf had, uh, back in the old days, anyway, you had a, hey, merits and flaws. It was kind of a flaws piece. You took, you know, bad arm, blind in one eye. You got extra character points to make your dude with. Um, Amber had bad stuff. If you um, <clears throat> took certain points worth of bad stuff, you could then use that to build your character in a certain way. So it's similar to that, at least in Brett's feeling anyway. it's Because obligation means that you're obligated to do something. It's so, going to have some impact in game. So you can opt to choose your obligation, uh, or you can randomly roll it. And that obligation in, in Edge of the Empire can any, could be anywhere from like an addiction to a family member 
to debt. So they're kind of character. Uh, I think the three of those are present in our in our group right now. Well, yeah, there's a few. We got, we got family. We got an alcoholic. We got uh, we got a couple. Yeah. the The way obligation works is, uh, it is always so you get the group as an you know you okay so let's say each member of the group, and it also is based on the number of people in your group. So the more people you have the X amount of obligation there is assigned to the group, right? So I can't, I didn't have to look at the table. So those, the smaller amount versus a bigger amount, the bigger group defines how much obligation XP or XP you get for obligation. I know so Chris, apart, Chris apart from using, apart from using it for character building stuff though, when you're playing the game, what the hell does obligation do to us? I mean, we have to roll obligation. Well, I'm, getting to, sessions. I'm getting to that. Sorry, that's the good stuff, man. Getting, getting Give me the, the goods. Jesus the Christ. Good stuff. All right, so um, when you start in a meal, man, you don't start in the middle of your meal. You, uh, you got to start at the beginning of your meal. Doing it wrong. Oh, whatever. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> All right, so obligation, when you have a group, you ha- say Brett's character has 20 obligation, one through 20. He's got 20 points. The next person has 20 obligation. He probably He or she may have 21 through 40. Right at the beginning of the game, you roll the GM rolls obligation. If they roll over, under, under, gotta be under because the higher the obligation on our part, the easier it should be for you to fuck us. Correct. No, you want to roll over. I would like to roll over. Yes, you would. I would assume. So if we, you want to roll under. If I, if the GM rolls over the obligation, the obligations are not triggered. So what happens is people will get obligation that'll keep going up and up as they do not deal with it. Right. So if we roll under the obligation score, so say the total group obligation sixty, and I roll a forty. So this is Han Solo eventually ends up frozen in fucking carbonite in a Jabba's palace because somebody didn't deal with his obligation. Well, Greedo shows up at the cantina. Yeah, but whatever. Then for an entire film afterward, he's always running from this. This that you know, eventually something bad happens. Mm. Right? Eventually he ends up in fucking carbonite in Jabba's palace. Now, when I roll, whatever my result is may trigger one it's gonna be one of the players obligation. Right now, we in our group, everybody has an obligation because what they did was they decided to steal a ship. And they all stole it together. So now they they have an obligation to having stole that ship that kind of meets like four of the player characters. So you break that out basically. And when I roll, it triggers that. If they do not deal with it, well, first of all, if it's triggered, I can just kind of implement the obligation. I'll just have... Well, I can't get in episode seven because I don't want any spoilers. But nonetheless, like you can, if I rolled Han Solo's obligation, Greedo shows up. You know, okay, he dealt with it. That's done for the time being, but he still has a debt out there from Java. Yeah, it's, it's that thing when it shows up, it's it's incumbent on the game master and perhaps the source of the table if necessary. But at some point, the game master is going to say, oh, Brett, you have a family issue. Guess what? Guess who calls you? Guess who needs a loan? It's that uncle that you have in your obligation. Or, hey, guess what? Um, you know, you have this other thing and this is what happens or starts to happen. I mean, you're going to weave that as a narrative component into that session, right? I mean, that's the goal of it. Right. Which I think is cool. But if you don't deal with it, 
mm-hmm. it goes up and or it creates strain on the character. Now, strain is a, a particular element of your character. And if you do not deal with strain, so you can incur strain, um, you can incur it in combat. Um, so in, in other words, in combat, you can make an additional um, action or move movement movement. No. Oh my God. I have to anyways, maneuver maneuver is what I'm looking for. So you can impose strain upon yourself to make an additional maneuver. The more strain you have, it can actually wear you out to the point of unconsciousness. So the, 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 the obligation piece is it hovering over your head. So if you say I choose not to deal with it, how would I narratively tell you? I don't, I don't care. So my, my thought would be, if it's my father calling me for something and, you know, making demands, I choose to ignore that. Sure. Or I don't deal with it. That's a very obvious one where you don't deal with it. And therefore you'd be like, okay, strain, you know, you, this is going to wear on you Correct. in some way because you chose not to pick up the phone, if you will, and deal with that problem. Right. And I could implement a setback die on certain checks if I wanted to. There we go. Okay. So, so mechanically speaking, not dealing with a thing can leads to bad dice in your dice pool. Correct. Okay. Yes. So obligation's pretty cool. I like it. Well, the cool things about it to me is that GURPS and a lot of other systems, you have flaws and, and merits and, and things like that, disadvantages or whatever other systems have called them. They don't always come into play, right? You've got that um, superhero who has Aunt May, and every once in a while, somebody, Spider-Man's Aunt May gets kidnapped or whatever it is, happens periodically. But for a long, a lot, a lot of time, nothing bad happens because you have this dependent NPC or whatever. <clears throat> and the mechanic, if I'm understanding it correctly, it, obligation comes up. It's going to happen. It's a die roll at the beginning of a session. It's implemented. It has impact to the character immediately every session, and it builds and builds and builds until it breaks or is dealt with or whatever. There's going to be something that has to happen with it. A perfect, you know? a perfect example is Luke Skywalker on Dagobah, and he's training and he's training and he's training, and he still, you know, he reads Darth, the, the silhouette of Darth Vader in the cave. He fear overtakes him. He still has his mind on his friends. The Force tells him his friends are in danger. He's sitting there trying to concentrate. Stupid Yoda's on his foot. He's on a one-handed arm, one-arm handstand. The rocks fall. He can't concentrate. Eventually, he has to, he's, so that is his strain. Strain is taking a hold and putting on him. So then as time goes on, he wants to leave. He's like, look, I got to go. My friends are in, in danger. He's, he's got all that strain and he has to deal with that because he has obligation to his friends. Because I can't get rid of this. I can't strain. get rid of it. I can't. Until I've done this other thing. Right. It's really on my brain. It's weighing heavily on me and my spirit. So I got to go and deal with this. And Yoda's like, don't go. You're going to screw this shit up. And he's like, no, I got to go. And that's where he goes to deal with it. Now, when you, you deal, he was a bad guy, and he was just fucking with Luke and making him incur strain. That's terrible. Well, what a little bastard. He didn't complete his training. I, don't, I haven't seen the movie. What do I know? Just kidding. Keep going. Uh, so that, but when you deal with the obligation, you can actually remove it and pick up another one or lower it. So it's it ebbs and flows, things of that nature. What's to say the cool thing though is that it is the way the mechanic and I'm not a huge mechanics guy as I've said many times but it's a very it's you start this role at the beginning of the game not oh you encountered five cops today and therefore the checks go up by five percent and 
it happened, boom, right at the beginning. It's house cleaning at the beginning of the session. Okay, we're going to sit down and play. Let's do the light side, dark side stuff. Let's roll obligation. Good, that's out of the way. Great, Sean has everything he needs and we need to start tonight's session. Off we go. <clears throat> so Sean knows if there's obligation, stuff he needs to work in. He's got all that stuff set up ahead of time and we run into the session. He can work it in. He doesn't have to wait and, you know, at the when everyone says, oh, I want to go get a sandwich. I'll be right back. Oh, shit, we forgot to check obligation at that time when you guys ran into Greedo in the bar. Fuck, 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 fuck. We should have done that. I forgot. Oh, well, I guess we forgot obligation. No, it happens at the beginning of the session. And therefore, anyway, in my opinion, that type of background thing is going to be implemented, which to me is kind of cool because yeah. it gets forgotten a lot. Right. In my experience. Right. Yeah. So, Sean, we had some combat last time we played. And... um. The combat, I thought, went really, really smooth. I mean, it was clunky to a point because it was a little new. Oh, how do we do this? How do we do that? But once you understand how the dice pool work, oh, go grab some dice. How many purples? How many reds? How many yellows? How many greens? Brick, roll it. And um, I actually find it's easier to, for me anyway, when you see those things, um, your advantages, disadvantages, major successes, huge, really cool stuff or really, really bad things that happen to you, it's easier to imagine kind of a really cool success or a really cool a uh, narrative cinematic failure thing in a combat sometimes than it is picking a lock or trying to smooth talk somebody or trying to sneak through the shadows or something like that. It just, it, it seems really ripe for some cool narrative. So I found the stuff that we were doing with combat pretty, that was a really, to me, a really good turning point for rolling with rolling the dice and going, Oh, this is, this is this crank through the, uh, crank through the, uh, you know, the symbol translator and Brett's noggin and come up with a cool narrative component to go with the combat. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. I don't think we ran combat as well as I think we should have. That's okay. But I mean, first time through, we still had enough of the, we still had enough of trying some daring deeds, pulled off some stuff. We shot at people. We were, we were shot at, we dodged stuff. We fucked different things up. I thought it went pretty well. Sean's flipping through a book right now. I am not flipping. Th yeah, I am flipping through the book. <laughs> I'm flipping through a book. Well, I was, but combat is, I mean, there in this game, the nice thing about it is that it's, it's the same mechanic as doing anything else. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. It just, yes. it's, oh, I know how to make a dipole. Oh, there's nothing different here. No. Oh, okay. No, the only difference is the range bands sets the difficulty. So instead of the GM kind of saying, well, you want to do that? That's going to be an average difficulty. That's two purple dice. Um, and then doing it. In this, it's based on the range. So whether you are in melee, sure. yeah, hand-to-hand, -hand, or... Um, Bullseye and Womp Rats or T-16. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Medium, short, medium, long. Those will determine the die types for um, difficulty. As we hinted at last time, some weapons do have other things. So when you rack up different advantages and so forth, you can stun, knock out, um, that type of – there's other things that some of these weapons can do. And yeah. you get them when you roll certain successes. Correct. When you, when, a, when you roll a triumph, typically you can trigger something that may be inherent to the power of the weapon, whatever that, that may be. Triumph was the term I was missing there, Correct. yes. Correct. So then, of course, there are – 
in so in some systems you have I do a move, I do a move equivalent, I do an action, I do a double move, I do yes. a five foot step. So these in, in Edge of the Empire you do maneuvers, which you get one of, and then you do actions. Differences are so maneuver so actions require typically a skill check. Where maneuvers will be drawing from a holster, readying a weapon, loading a weapon, drawing something from storage, changing a range increment, um, something that probably doesn't require necessarily a skill check. Okay. Right? right? So if you're going to run down the corridor, you don't need a skill to run down the corridor. So that's kind of kind of your maneuver. Got it. You get Can one, you do maneuver and an action at the same time? Yes. Excellent. We but did that right. Usually it's not at the same time. You're maneuvering. Well, I mean, one, one before the other. Yes. You can, on your turn, you can do both is what I'm saying. Typically, you only do you only have one maneuver. You can burn strain to make it a second maneuver, maneuver but you can never have more than two maneuvers. Cool. Good to There know. may be other skills that allow you to take a second maneuver and maybe not incur strain. Right? Um, and then you have actions, right? So spending an action, there's the types of actions. Um, and it's usually a combat check or a skill check of some kind. So again, same Fix a thing, shoot a person in the face, punch him in the face. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. I'm going to, right. So I'm going to shoot them. How far away are they? Well, uh, they're probably medium range, which is going to be an average two difficulty type. So throw in two purples. Okay, you roll. Now, there's a lot. This system is a very ebb and flow thing. If you didn't get that from the first one where we talked about the die types and everything, we really haven't gone through kind of a skill check and what that works or what the outcomes of the symbols are and how you would narrate those. But you have to keep the die pool flow kind of, it comes in ebbs and flows. So, set by, uh, so here's an example Brett says, I'm going to shoot somebody. And uh, I'm going to shoot that guy. He's coming down. He's going to intercept my droid. Droid's coming towards me. I'm going to shoot that guy that's going to kidnap my droid. And I say, okay, they're at medium range. So Brett's like, fine. He's got this weapon out. He's at medium range. It's two purple dice. He puts his die pool together, whatever his short range skill is. Roll that, whatever the outcome is. Now, if there is something that is bad that occurs, maybe he hits him and something bad happens. The bad things I would typically put out there, the good things Brett would put out there, narratively speaking, right? And then if it's vice versa, again, if it's something good that happens, Brett would narrate it on his end and I would narrate the bad stuff. And then based on that, you could have on the next roll, whoever that may be, could have a different die in there. Maybe it's a boost die. Brett did some, something awesome. Maybe he even missed, but created an advantage. I just pass that boost die across the table to the next person per the, per the chart, and off you go. Right. But narratively speaking, what is that? Maybe Brett misses the person, but blows up the crate that they were hiding behind, which removes the cover that the individual had. Now the next person that goes gets the boost die. They're going to shoot him. Still range, same difficulty, but now the boost eye has a potential of creating more successes. And that's a spe- that actually happened in the last combat we had. Correct. Somebody shot some some stuff and boom, blew up the cover. 
And next guy got the boost and wham, nailed the bad guy. Right. And so combat is you have you have damage. So the weapon inherently has a damage n- number. So I've seen, I can't remember what blaster weapon has like seven damage. So it's seven damage. That person takes seven damage from the weapon. And then each additional success adds an additional plus one to the damage. Right? So... I don't believe... Now, I was trying to figure out... I'd have to check, because we were playing if the... Like my light blaster pistol. I'm looking at my character sheet now. Light blaster pistol, ranged um, light, you know, is the skill. It does five damage. Range is medium. Uh, uh, Crit three, special, does stun, or two hard points. So, it's got those type of features. Right. If you... Now, I think when we were doing was after the first success... That's the additional damage that occurs. Now I could not find where it said additional success, where I thought it was every so I thought it was every success that you roll is an additional damage. We were playing like the first one doesn't count because that's the success to hit the person. Now, when you talk about defense, they get the the black I would have to, if I was run if I were going to want to shoot Brett in the face from medium range. But maybe Brett's behind. He's got a defense rating on his character sheet. There's a black die. That's a setback die for my non-player character, which would be thrown in their pool to hit Brett, which would make it harder. Where was I going to go with this? So, anyways, damage. I hit Brett. The blaster uh, pistol does five damage. I rolled two successes, so he takes seven. It goes against this soak. So you have a soak rating on your character sheet, which is which happens to be four. Which happens to be four. So you take I don't know what you three damage. Three. Yeah. So if it's seven total, right? Hey, let let me run run some numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got calculator up here. Yeah, that's definitely three. And so then Brett also has a wound threshold, which is equivalent, which is equivalent to hit points. So once Brett gets hit with. Uh, below his wound threshold, then starts things start to fall apart. Now, if we roll critical, there's a critical hit miss or hit chart, re-roll percentages. Anything over like 150 is death, I believe. Or I'd have to double check, but death. Or if they don't die for whatever reason, then they're going to take a wound to their body. Like, I don't know, a hand being chopped off. So that's almost, so the threshold component reminds me a lot of Warhammer First Edition, where after you get through X, then the critical shit starts to happen. You broke through the wound threshold, and then you get your head lopped off after that, or you lose an arm or something, or then that's when you die, is once you've gotten through that threshold. Correct. Once you get through that, then you're you're past the battered and bruised into, you know, bleeding and dying. Correct. Okay. Yes. Does that make sense, Brett? It does. I think the to me the interesting part was even if we did combat a little bit wrong, which uh, you know, anytime you're running a newer system for me, and I know for a couple of the other guys it was a little bit newer, but it doesn't. I mean, the heat of the moment, the combat felt really, really quick. It took us a while to get through it, like from a physical time perspective. Um, but we had a goal: get the droid, get him on the damn ship, get the fuck out of here, because we had this other ship coming up. We had a lot of trouble. We had to get out of here. We had obligation issues. We had to just do, 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 go, go, go. And it was all like, okay, what's the cool narrative thing? We knew what we wanted to get to. And because we had a goal, everything we did, every success, every triumph, every failure was all around how does it help us or harm us in obtaining the goal? You know, and, and it wasn't even 
I mean, the short-term thing was I want to shoot the guy in the face. Why are you shooting him in the face? Because he, he has to get off of Brett's guy so Brett can get the droid so we can get out of here. Um, we weren't in a combat where it was like, well, this is the big penultimate fight. If we don't kill a dragon, we don't get the treasure. This was we have to move out of this scene into the next scene uh, to use that type of language. And what do we have to do to get out of here? Shoot these guys, knock things down, do stuff. Because you don't, you know, you're not killing monsters and taking their stuff, right? Isn't isn't the goal here? So what we were trying to do was creative narrative combat type stuff to get on the ship with everything we needed, droid included, and get the flock out of here as fast as possible to make the jump to hyperspace. So it went from skill checks to combat, back to skill checks, bluff, and all this cool stuff to get the hell out. Mechanics checks and breaking hydro spanners and throwing knibbler rods, whatever the hell else we broke in the process. But it was bam, 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 bam. We we're building dice pools quickly. We we're narrating pretty fast. Even if we missed a mechanical component, I it didn't. If we missed it, it didn't. Um, it didn't, in my opinion, leave a gaping hole in how the story wound out for that evening. So to me, that's a strength. I mean, if you miss or flub a certain component of a system and you're like, well, but we, it still worked. It still was dangerous feeling. And we didn't feel like it was a complete cakewalk. I think that that's, that's cool. Yeah. So I think that basically in a nutshell, when you talk about conditions as if you're going to game master this game, the thing you got to keep in mind is kind of the conditions piece. And instead of like in some RPGs, you're doing a plus two minus two to whatever role in this game, you're kind of adding dice or subtracting dice or upgrading dice. So you're either removing dice, adding dice, or you're changing the die type. I mean, so, for example, if Brett's attempting to do something, there's going to be a difficulty to it. In a D20 game, it's going to be 10, 15, 20, whatever that is, whatever that number, and he's going to have to hit that target number or above based on his skill and his additional points and all that crap. In Edge of the Empire, Brett has his key skills and abilities that sets a certain amount of dice. GM-wise, I'm going to say if that's average, hard, whatever, that's going to determine the difficulty dice. So it's not a number. Given all the dice, you roll it, the outcome is compared to symbols, and then you narrate it appropriately. Now, it's not that hard. It is not, not that hard. It, sound, it sounds, <clears throat> again, I, I, probably, I may have made it sound more difficult, and part of that was simply because this is the first time, apart from the only other game of, games, excuse me, I played two types of games that are symbol-based versus number-based, and that is Hero Quest, the old board game, had like skulls and shields on all the dice, and uh, Lego's Heroica I played with my son AJ was all symbols. It was all symbols and pips. I mean, just a couple pips, but like swords and shields and skulls and different things. Um, <clears throat> so it's not like you can't learn this stuff. It's very it's very simple to do. The, the funky component is that in a game like a Hero Quest or the Lego Heroica thing, it's it's basically two shields subtracts two swords. If you have three swords, that's one point of damage. This is all narrative driven, which is the the twist in that when you have the extra cool thing or the extra bad thing is what does that mean? Use your words. Right. Exactly. Use your words. That's all you Sorry. I, I, just, I had a little, I had a little one. I had to kiss goodnight there. Sorry. I see. Did you <clears throat> roll a skill check? I did. I did well. You succeeded with an advantage. I succeeded with an advantage. You said goodnight, love you. That was nice. <laughs> Which makes you feel happier. And, it does. And so you can remove one point of strain. One, one point of strain. One point Thank of strain, you. Brett. So my first of five obligation for children has been met for the evening. That's good. Oh, your obligation may be <clears throat> dropping. Oh, this is good. It's nice. 
<clears throat> so Sean, um, is there any other component of the of the rules? I mean, if shit you and I have done with the game system, how we talked about last time, what we talked about here, I think that um, it's not. You don't have a different mechanic for skills versus combat, right? You don't have different social checks versus something else. The way the dice pools are built and read is basically just um, dependent on the situation in which you're doing it. Whether you're trying to shoot someone in the face, you're trying to fly a spaceship, you're trying to pick a lock or move stealthily or bargain or schmooze your way into something. Um, Is there anything else that we missed that you can think of? No. Which is a cool point somebody would want to know about. Well, now, so keep in mind, we're doing two episodes of Edge of the Empire and talking about the game. There is an entire podcast that that's all they do every episode. So you can imagine the amount of material that they're going over is very more in depth talking about a lot more stuff, which we are not covering like combat, like uh, not combat, but starship combat. Yes. We haven't done a lot of that. All the different traits, all the different classes or um, careers, specializations, we're not even getting into Age of Rebellion and Force and Destiny. So Age of Rebellion, they deal with duty. Duty. He, he, he. Duty. He, he, duty. Yeah, we're, we're fucking growing up. Um, <laughs> Keep going. But so it's similar to obligation, but it's called duty. And it may be where somebody wants to always get into combat all the time because they're trying to prove the rebellion is top notch or whatever that is. Um, and that messes with them. But anyways... I don't think we haven't gone over anything that we really missed, missed where it, it, it's very general high level overview, which is great. So if you have questions, this is, yeah, I was going to say, if you got questions, um, you know, you can feel free to hit us. What's that? Uh, what's that uh, podcast there, dude? Which one? Who covers it? Like order, six, order 66. Order 66. So I had Check my those. phone next to me and I was listening to an episode that they were doing and it's it's pretty <clears throat> old. It's an older one. But they literally got went through and they were talking about a situation and they told you the results. And if you're the player and you're positive, then you would narrate the positive results. And then if you were the GM and there were negative results, the GM would narrate the negative. So they were just doing that on part of their podcast and just making up certain scenarios and situations. See, and I don't think that is not a, the fact that there's a group of people that are dedicating that much time to the game. One, they obviously have a passion for the system. I don't think that that is a detraction. I don't think that's people saying, Oh my God, this game is incredibly complicated. No, what it is more to the point is the whole writer's table component, uh, narrative pieces. How do I read stuff? How do I make sure that I'm doing it in a really cool way? How do I make sure that, um, not doing it right per se, but within the spirit of the game. And I don't, and I, this becomes second nature. How do we make sure the rules become background noise? It's similar to, we could, you could do that type of thing with Pathfinder, 5e, uh, Savage Worlds. I mean, there's people out there that just talk that stuff. Spellburn just talks Dungeon Crawl Classics. That's all they talk about, right? Those types of games. So I, I think there's, um, but these guys are talking about every damn book that comes out. They have guests well, yeah, on the show from Fantasy crazy. Flight Games. They they're talk. Yeah. I mean, so there is plenty of material you could dedicate an entire podcast to. We just don't have the desire. That's not what we do. No. So I think, though, so Sean, when, um, what do you like about the system apart from the fact that it's Star Wars? What do you like? The dice mechanics are great. I think that's what's missing in a lot of my games that I like to play, like D&D. Well, like Brett says, you can do that with D&D. 
Yeah, you can, but it's not built into the game. People don't have to. No, I have to bring a narrative component. I have to bring something to the game. Mechanically, as it stands, pass-fail, right? Right. You meet the target or you don't. How did you fail? Derp. Yeah. No response. Crickets. But you can get with, you also get with this game. What? Edge of the Empire? Okay, you failed. How did you fail? Uh, You can totally get crickets again. Sure, you can, but I just keep poking. Well, it would be me on the failure piece. It would be good you on the good piece. Yeah, but you and you can, like I said, you can do the same thing. However, in, in another game, some people are like, well, look, I don't care. I just, I failed. That's all that matters is whatever. It's not all that matters. In this game, though, mechanically speaking, it does because it says, look, if you get, you know, this passes boost dice around, it does this thing. You've got a chart to do stuff with it. So it forces slash strongly encourages the narrative where some other systems do not. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. That was rude. Excuse me. I apologize. So anyway, anything else you like about it? Uh, you like the mechanic? Is this, you, you've played other Star Wars ver- games. Is this the best Star Wars variation? The, it system? is the best Star Wars role-playing game ever made. Are you being a facetious dick or do you D- really mean D6 that? D6 West End Game Fanatics. You can email me at gamingnbs at gmail.com. Nice. Tell me Ooh. differently. And here's the difference. I've played both. Did you ever play don't, Saga? Don't come to me if you haven't played both. Play Saga? I've played Saga. I played them all. I played them all. all. I have played them all, Brett. I've, I've, I've been hey, everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. I've played them all. I've been in every arcade. Tell you what, kid. I've been from one side of the galaxy to the other. I ain't seen no all-powerful <laughs> gaming system until I met this one. Or whatever the fuck he says. All, all right. right. Yeah, so, so I think I think it's the I think it, it's the setting, which is Edge of the Empire and the Scoundrels. It's on the outer rim. It's just trying to make ends meet, and you've got obligations that are completely messing with you all the time. The narration piece, the mechanic piece, is simple. You don't have to do any numbers. You just add dice. You interpret the dice. You come up with the narration, and you come up with, and it enriches the whole thing. So, is there something you don't like? There isn't a single thing I don't like about this system. Really? No, the, I think the only thing that I don't like about this system is that people may not understand how how to handle this system. Okay. So if I get a bunch of players that are like that that are just really set in the pass fail mode and they don't do they don't get into the narrative, that would probably be my biggest hang up. And that's well, that's a player issue, not a system issue. Well, yeah, and it could go one one and the other, right? True. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you I mean, get, if you're playing D and D and you've got guys that are, are gals that are all rules lawyers and they drive you crazy, or they're munchkins and you're trying to do more story, that could drive you crazy. True. Okay. Which is kind of part of the game, maybe not. I don't know. Mid maxers, whatever. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I love. So, the, I like this game. I've got man. I've got all three books. I'm I'm fully vested, man. Nice. I might buy every damn book they put out. Just to prove a point. Just to say. This <laughs> could be my go-to game. This may be my game. So I like the narrative-driven results. I really do. I like the um, the way that forces that mechanically. That's kind of cool. Um, as I've said before, do I need that mechanic? No. However, it is nice to have it in there as a um, – we sit down to that game. You don't have to say, now, look, the way Brett runs D&D, I do a lot of narrative stuff, so – Hey, get ready for that. It's not in the book, but I'm going to give you this kind of add-on 
thing that we're going to talk about narrative. Like, how did you fail to pick the lock? What did you do? How did you kill the monster? Um, <clears throat> that stuff's not bad. Obviously, I, I do that. Sean does that. Other people do, as we talked about from some of our listener feedback even today. But when the system does it automatically, <laughs> it's in there right out of the gate. That's kind of cool. So I like that aspect. I do also like the sourcing of the table thing where people feel um, totally fine to chip in and throw in cool ideas. Um, and that, that helps because when I'm stuck, Kevin or or uh, or Sean even or Austin or Steve or Jim can throw in and say, how about this? How about that? Um, <clears throat> that's really cool. Um, one of the things I don't like is a couple things I don't like about it. One, I don't, I don't like Star Wars all that much. I don't really care for the IP. I would rather play this system in a different setting because I don't really care about Star Wars. So that is a that's kind of like saying I like D and D, but I really don't want to play in Forgotten Realms. I don't want to play in Greyhawk. Okay, you know the the system is fine. <clears throat> I don't like the IP. So if I throw my distaste of the intellectual property out the window and just look at it and it's fun and how we're playing it, yeah, I'm having a good time. Just don't like Star Wars. Um, the other the only other thing I can think of offhand is that the scale of the system for large groups, and for me, large groups is always a concern because sometimes I'll have. Um, anywhere from four to eight, I've had, I've had 13 people at a max, but that was ages past, but I've had like, you know, eight, nine people at a game table. That's obnoxious. Well, not if you've got the right system to run with it. What is that? Um, What is that though? Pass fail is fast. Pass fail is faster. And, um, and so on. When you have something like this, I don't know. And again, I'd have to run it. I have to try it. I don't know how well the system would scale. And somebody out there probably does this with eight, with eight plus people and has no issue. But I don't know how well it would scale for a large group. Again, though, I think I would have to play it more, master it, get really good with a smaller group, and I could probably roll it out. I'm just – it's a concern, not necessarily a dislike. I'm not sure what I think about it um, for scaling for a larger group. That's all. Again, I'd, I'd try it, see what I think. But I would rather do something with a different setting. But I think somebody had posted this on one of their Google Plus pages or even on uh, Facebook where you could easily – use this to play Firefly, and I fuck, I love Firefly. And I know people out there who don't like Firefly that are really big Star Wars people that don't like Firefly. Fine. You know, that's that's fine. Just you're wrong and all. But anyway, um, I would rather play in, in that setting with this system. Or or even uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, 3rd edition, does something similar. Fantasy Flight Games puts that out. Um, that could be that could be enjoyable, too, because I like fantasy better than I like sci-fi. But it's just a personal taste thing. Let's Sean's just mad. Let's Sean's just mad that I don't like Star Wars. <laughs> so dead to me. Let's get into die roll. 2D4. Miscellaneous points gaming geekery we want to share with you. Brett has two. I have three, making it five. So, uh, Lords of Gossamer Shadow RPG. It is a very it's a diceless role-playing system. It is uh, probably the some people ver- refer to it as Amber uh, 2.0 or the next variation or generation of that. System, it's very good and very big in the Amber Circles. Drive Through RPG has it on sale right now and will be on sale. Uh, by the time this podcast drops, it'll still be on sale. I think it goes until next week, Friday. It's eight bucks. So I've mentioned it on the show before. If anybody's interested in it, eight bucks is probably a good uh, good dollar figure to pick it up, see what you see, see what you like. Number two, our uh, friend of the show over here and at Misdirected Mark, Randy Farmer, has a paper craft tips on how to uh, fold flat building methods. He's got a video out there. I've got a link in the show notes to the YouTube video he has. He put it on our Google Plus site um, a little bit ago. I neglected to have it in the last one, but I want to make sure I call out here. Randy does. He's like the paper craft god. 
and uh, he makes it look very easy. And I'll tell you the the tips and tricks he's got there. He's I think uh, I, guess, I think I might be able to pull that off. It's print and cut, man. I think I could do this. God, a lot of man. work. I, it might be a lot of work for me because I'm a clod, but. Man, Randy makes it look cool. I admire the shit out of guys like Randy. I really do. But God, man, I just have no patience for any of that stuff. Like, I I admire it. It'd be awesome. Like, hey, Randy invites me over to game. Shit, man, I'm all down with that. But me doing all that for my players? (laughs) No way, man. Fuckers don't even like Star Wars. Why would I do that for them? I know, right? I hate those guys. All right, Sean, those are mine. What have you got? All right. uh, Number one. Fantasy flight. I gotta mute this thing. My wife's like texting me. I think again. I gotta mute this. All right. Sorry about that. Fantasy flight games. Edge of the Empire YouTube intro video. So if you you so you've listened to us to, for like two hours, probably forty minutes on each topic, uh, or last two episodes. Go to the YouTube video. They'll explain it a little bit more in detail, and it's nicely flashy and um, uh, produced. Uh, link in the show notes, star Wars on Reddit, fantasy flight games on Reddit. I have a link that in the show notes. So if you want some additional resources and like Reddit, there's a Reddit out there for it. And number three blog with some good edge of the empire resources. That's wave your geek flag And they've got some decent resources on their blog that you can take advantage of, which I thought was pretty cool as well. So speaking of resources, is there going to be, or is there word out that FFG is going to do a sourcebook running a rulebook, perhaps based on what we, what not, everyone else but Brett has seen in the theaters? Is that coming? I don't know. Do we know. I don't okay. know. If, I don't think it's been announced. I don't know if they're going to do a Force Awakens book. Interesting. Okay. I hope. I hope they don't because I don't think there's enough in the movie to produce a whole book on it. But that's just me. Wait for the trilogy, the new one. I think the three books that they've got out is just fine. Okay. I don't know. Sean's already gone OSR on Star Wars. Nice. do Old Republic, man. That's the way to go. Anyways, and we had our first, maybe first, I think somebody might have suggested a die roll before, but Mark Dawson actually submits a die roll uh, to us. And he says, uh, nothing helps more with immersion during the game than a great soundtrack. Check out this free site with a slew of soundscapes created exactly for this purpose. If you grow tired of the pre-made loops, check out the sound pad option on the site to create your own environment and even trigger a few sound effects on the fly. You can find that at table, table to audi- tabletop audio. Dot com. Not table to P audio. <laughs> Tabletop audio. <laughs> Tabletop audio. Or table to podio. Nice. Anyway, thank you, Mark. I apologize <laughs> for Sean, but thank you very much. That's always good. We've talked about this before a little bit on one of the shows, The Sound. I have uh, one episode, actually, be one episode. I have one game I run. Um, I call it Cthulhu game that I have a soundtrack, which was designed specifically for the game by John Wick. And I've used that, so it's kind of cool. Anyway. I thought I thought we might have mentioned tabletop audio, but that might have been like the tens or teens. I don't, I don't remember, but hey, Mark calls it out, man. It's definitely worth it's definitely worth throwing yeah, out there he, again. Yeah, even if we did, it's been long lost and buried. Yeah, thanks for sending that in. If you've got a die roll, send it to ag, uh, gamingnbs at gmail.com or put it on Google Plus and say, hey, I got a die roll I want to suggest. We'll put it out on the air and... We uh, do do a fair business on Facebook as well. So we've got some listeners that basically just check us on Facebook. So if you want to uh, chat out there, check us out. We're out there too. That's right. 
Um, and then, of course, we want to mention uh, thanks for everybody for contributing to the show, as well as our sponsor, Michael Alhauser, Great Out Productions, maker of fine dice bags. Go over to greatout, G R E Y E D O U T, dot Etsy dot com. Use our promo code gaming and BS, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your order. Do it. Michael makes good stuff. And besides, after you listen to Sean and I for the last two episodes here, you know you're going to try Edge of the Empire, and you're going to get at least two more sets of these funky dice that you're going to have to put in a die bag. Check him out. Get a Star Wars-themed dice bag wow. for your kick-ass dice, man. Yeah, there's that copyright thing, but anyways. Oh, dude, <laughs> a theme, a theme, a star, something, do something. Something, Come on. right, 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 right. Anyways. Themed, themed, not copied, not stolen. Themed. Right. Themed, yes. Uh, we want to thank our patrons uh, like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, and a few others. If you feel like supporting the show that way, by all means, to go to gamingmbs.com forward slash patron. Yes. Anyways, otherwise, oh, next week. Yeah, next week we're going to talk about Dungeon Crawl Classic. Sean, I've mentioned that a few times. He's run it. I have read it. And, uh, Sean, I think you got the lovely Jen Brinkman. Jen Brinkman will join us for the show to keep us in check on Dungeon Crawl Classics. If you do not know Jen, she's a frequenter of Gary Khan, amongst other cons. And she will also, she's also one of the co-hosts of the Spellburn podcast. Correct. We are going to be completely enamored with schooled. Jen. We're going to get schooled. We're going to get schooled and you know, just enamored by Jen's presence on the show. We're looking forward to her keeping us on. Tight. What we gotta do? We, we gotta get Jen and Angela on the show, and our the class level list of this whole racket's just gonna go right through the roof, dude. That's what the whole goal of this is, man. All right. Otherwise, I'm one of your hosts, Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night, good game, and all.